0: New Testament scripture reading, as well as our sermon text, comes from John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, I would have not would not have known him, except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Thus ends our reading this morning. Let's go together to God in prayer. Our Father, we gather this day. We gather for the purpose that you would speak to your people. That as you draw near to us and we draw near to you, that you would indeed make yourself known, reveal yourself to us through the God-man, Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you would build up your people, give your speaker clarity of thought and your hearer's clarity of understanding. We ask all of these things Jesus' precious and holy name Amen. Who is Jesus? You well, know, some of you are thinking, Pastor Shane, you should know who that is. But, uh, I put that question to you this morning in a very intentional way. You know, who is Jesus? There are many speculations about who he was. Some say that he was a prophet, a great pr- teacher. Some think he was a great preacher. Say that he was an example. To all men, that he is to be highly respected because of his position as a man on this world, in this world. There are many different answers that can be given to that question. Some say that he's a liar. Some say that he was a lunatic. I'm not asking, what does the world think of Jesus? Or who do you think? Jesus is. But the question is, who is Jesus? Who does he describe himself as? Who has he made himself known as? You see, as we come to the gospel of John this morning, as we are still looking at the first chapter, a very important introduction to this man named Jesus. John, the author of this gospel, he has one question that he wants to deal with more than any other question. One question that will resound throughout the remainder of the entirety of the gospel of John. He has this one question that he is asking and answering at the same time. And it is a question that will ultimately shape not just a sermon or the next sermon, but you people of God. Each time we gather together to worship our God, through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And that brings us to this question of John's. Who is this man called Jesus? Very simple question. And it has extremely important implications. One that each and every one of us, it is a question that each and every one of us in this room even needs to deal with and needs to answer. Is Jesus a good moral teacher? Is that his main reason for coming? Is he a prophet? Is he no one special at all? Is he just a man like every other man? Is he in fact a lunatic or a liar? Or is he the son of God and son of man? Is he the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God? who comes to take away the sins of the world? Is he the way, the truth, and the life? Is he the true vine in whom alone is life? Is he the Lamb of God sent to take away the sins of the world? Who is this man, Jesus? Who is this one that we claim has authority over us, even as we gather here together in his name, in this place, calling ourselves Christians, which means Christ follower. Well, dear Christians, John tells us who this man is over and over again. John delights to tell us who Jesus is. And in our text, this very first time where we actually see Jesus appear in the flesh. we've been given this title in verse 19 or verse you know, um, verse 29. John tells us Jesus is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. By the way, this is the first time we're given to really identify Jesus as he has come in the flesh, who this man really is as he has entered into history in the narrative of John's gospel. But what does that mean, that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Why break uh, When you break it all down, what is it getting at? What does that title mean? And how does it affect how we see and know who Jesus is even here? He is presented. Martin Luther said this phrase, the Lamb of God. He says that in this title is the basis of all Christian doctrine. Very basic, the bottom tier. Whoever believes it is a Christian. Whoever does not is not a Christian and will get what he has coming to him. The statement is clear enough. This is the Lamb of God who bears the sins of the world. Luther makes a very bold claim as he comes to this particular text. He says, basically, here is the basis of all Christian doctrine. This is the foundation upon which all other Christian doctrine is laid upon. Without this phrase before you, without this title and the actions of Jesus that flow from his title, Christianity is pointless. It is null and void, meaningless, worth nothing And surely Luther had his finger on the pulse of this particular passage. And in this one phrase before us, the whole message of John, the whole message of the scriptures is made clear. The whole essence of Christianity is summarized and encapsulated. The essence of Christianity itself is coming to light very quickly here as we are confronted with who this man is and what he has come to text opens up, and the first thing we see this morning is the one revealed, the one revealed. In verse 29, we see Jesus comes, and he's walking towards John. It's the first time, as I noted a minute ago, that in uh, John's gospel that Jesus' name is actually mentioned. In the first 18 verses, we know who the text is talking about, but his name is never actually spoken or given. And then in verses 19, on uh, the narrative that follows, 19 through 28, uh, we begin to follow this man who, uh, 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 excuse me, in verses 19 through 28, we've learned about John and who he is, but now we finally, as we come to verse 29, we are following and finding the man Jesus, who has entered into history at this point in the Gospel of John. And as this narrative begins to unfold, we will follow this man from the remainder of the gospel. We will follow him through the remainder of his life as he is presented throughout the rest of the gospel account. So when we first hear his name, it is natural that we should ask the question, who is this? Who is this one coming up to John? And I recognize that that's probably not a natural question for us to ask. Nope. we're used to reading Jesus' name and assuming we know who he is. Now, after all, John has been telling us who he is, right? He is the Word, and the Word was made flesh, and he is the light of the world who is going into the world, and he is the one who will be rejected by his own people. But here, in our text, John's Gospel makes it explicit over and over again. At this point in our text, you can't wiggle around the question anymore of who this man might be, And John heralds this message saying, here he is. Here is this one that I've been speaking about. He is the one who I've been proclaiming is coming. Here is the one who brings all of the hopes of Israel together. No one knew who this man was. I myself didn't know who he was until God revealed him to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see here clearly the Messiah is being revealed to men. The light is beginning to shine in the darkness, but there's more going on here in the background. There's more to John's proclamation of who Jesus is, even in this particular text. And as you go through the Gospel of John's, one of the things you have to get used to is that John is uh, uh he is known for not being wordy. Uh he never says more than he has to. Uh, And he never says more than he needs to, but he's like, you know, your blunt friend. He's just always right to the point, you know, getting right to the heart of the issue. And that means that as John writes his gospel, he's often leaving blanks for his readers to fill in. He doesn't always tell us exactly all of the context, but he's always overt or uh, explicit enough with the context, and that we're left to figure it out. So what is the context here? What is it that is going on in John's ministry here? When and where are we in John's ministry? What is he doing right now? Does the text actually tell us? Well, the text does. As I said, it's, it is stated, but it's not overt. It's not, uh, uh you kind of have to dig into it to see what's going on here. You see, as you come to the text here, In Jesus' life, John has, or Jesus has already been baptized. John's gospel doesn't speak of Christ's baptism, you'll notice. It's not like the other synoptic gospels. You know, other than that we read here in verse 32 where John says, I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him, which we know from the other gospels, that particular event took place at Jesus' baptism. But unlike the other gospels, John doesn't want to focus our attention on Christ's baptism. He wants to focus our attention elsewhere, shifting and directing our time uh, to a different place. He wants us to see not Jesus' baptism, but his coming conquest, where he will go forth and submit and or subdue the enemies of God to himself. Well, how does John do that? Is this a bit too much to read in the text? Well, if you look back to verses 19 through 28, John tells us that we are to understand John as the one who, as he is quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. And behold, we see John literally out in the wilderness. John is down here at the Jordan River, baptizing Israelites, calling them to repent. But what is significant is that he is at the Jordan River. Which is the entrance way into the promised land. You know, if you'll remember when Israel was wandering the wilderness for 40 years, when God finally led Israel out of the wilderness, Joshua led, led Israel through the Jordan River to conquer the Holy Land. That was their intent as they came through the river and entered into the promised land was to conquer the Holy Land. The Jordan River acted like this entrance gate into the promised Land, like if you can picture, you know, a, a, a massive gates at the front of a mansion, where you see behind them this road that leads to a house that you can't even see. These massive entrance ways into this land that surely is a good land, into a home that is surely a good home. And John comes to this particular entrance way, and he says, "I prepare a highway for God." I prepare the road for God, the the way for God to come that Isaiah 40 speaks about. I prepare the way for the Messiah to come and to conquer for the people of God. Just like Joshua did when he led God's people through the Jordan River into God's holy land. In this same way, I come now to prepare the way for God to come and conquer in a new conquest. One where the true Israelite of God will deliver his people from all the enemies of God. Notice at this point in the text, Jesus. Jesus, who after being baptized, after the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove, he goes out into the wilderness, meaning across the Jordan River, out of the Holy Land, out of the place of the promise, out of the land of Israel to wage war on the devil. And now we see Jesus coming and he is coming and he means he is coming out of the wilderness into the promised land, coming on the path marked out by John and he comes as a conqueror. He is on the highway of his God as a conqueror. He has already triumphed over the devil out in the wilderness. And John says, here is the one coming whom I herald. And here he stands before us, our champion, who will deliver us from all of God's enemies. And he is finally revealed to us. He is walking upon the highway of our God. Our text doesn't just reveal Jesus as a conqueror here. It also reveals Jesus as the one born of the Spirit. One born of Spirit. Our text confronts us with who Jesus is. It also confronts us with what Jesus is doing. In other words, we're being confronted not with just who this man is, but what his mission is, why he is here, why he has come. And here John reminds us of the message that he has been proclaiming again, very much like uh, 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 John's writings throughout. It's subtle; it's not overt. Verse thirty-three says, "This one you see, the Spirit descend upon, this Jesus. He is the one who will come and conquer, as Isaiah the prophet and the prophets prophesied. He is the Messiah who will deliver his people." What is John talking about here? You know, it sounds like crazy talk. Is John making stuff up? And again, the passage looks back to the imagery of Isaiah 40. You cannot read this particular text without keeping in mind the context of Isaiah. Pretty much the chapters from 40 all the way to 55, because it is here in these particular chapters, in this particular place, where Isaiah makes some very explicit prophecies about the coming Messiah. Isaiah 42, verse 1 tells us, Behold, my servant in whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I will put forth my spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He always says of the Messiah, I will put my spirit upon him. And notice the connection to the conquest here. Once I do that, he will bring justice to the nations. Basically, he will subdue them to himself and enforce his sovereign reign over them. This one, he is the chosen savior. He is the chosen deliverer who will deliver God's people from God's enemy. He will judge and he will make war. This one that you witnessed the Holy Spirit to send upon, he is the Messiah. Isaiah goes on to say, not only that, but through him, the Holy Spirit will descend upon all my people and all the people of God. I will baptize them with the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44, verse 3 says this, when God says, I will pour water on thirsty land and streams of dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. What happens throughout Jesus' ministry? What is it that we see? Jesus, this one who is born of the Spirit, he goes out and he gives signs, healing the lame, making the blind see, and the deaf hear, showing through all of these signs and wonders that the Holy Spirit is indeed upon him. And after he ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God and his work on earth is completed, Christ baptizes his people with the Holy Spirit. And tongues of fire descend and rest upon his disciples. He brings about a new age. A new age dawns. It's not the dawning of the age of Aquarius. It is the dawning of the age of the Holy Spirit that has begun. The people of God are baptized into the Holy Spirit because Christ is the Son of God. He is that Messiah who was prophesied back in Isaiah. The one the prophets spoke and wrote about. All of these ideas, all of these are in the background of John's proclamation here of who Jesus is. That Christ Jesus is the new Joshua coming to conquer of the enemies. Of God That Christ Jesus brings about the spirit of the new age. Or bringing about the age of the spirit, excuse me. John has clued us into who Jesus is and what he has come to do. But he doesn't end there. John the Baptist goes on to tell us how Christ will bring it all about. And we come full circle back to Luther and the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. Luther made that bold statement about what this title, Lamb of God, is all about. That this is the sentence upon which the whole of Christian doctrine hangs. All of Christianity hangs upon this sentence. And Luther is spot on. I mean, the truth is, you know, it's neat to see Jesus as the new Joshua. We should see those connections, and it is it is good that Jesus is bringing about a new age. But without becoming the suffering servant that Isaiah goes on to prophesy about, it would all mean nothing. It would all be empty and meaningless. You see, the Christ that John is proclaiming here, the very person that he is speaking about is the Christ Isaiah prophesied about. The one the Spirit would be poured out upon, the one baptizing with the Holy Spirit and baptized by the Holy Spirit, He also is the Lamb of God that would be slain. And here is that. Um, here it is in this way: the only means by which Christ can truly conquer all of God's enemies. The enemies of God are not the same as uh, uh, for Christ as they were for Joshua. The enemies of God were no longer Gentiles. It's not the the nations that Christ has come to uh, conquer. But the enemies of God are sin and death and the devil himself. And Christ becomes a conqueror over these particular enemies of God by becoming the Lamb of God that was slain. By becoming the one that Isaiah said was wounded for our transgressions. Who was crushed for our iniquities and upon his person was brought the judgment that brought us peace. Love of God. John asks us who Jesus is. Then he boldly and plainly tells us Jesus is the Messiah who has come and dying for a people, for you, his people. He died for you because we were scattered like sheep. We were without a shepherd. We had all turned our own way, descending into a labyrinth of our own sin and misery so that God might have a people for himself. He sent forth his only begotten son. He sent Christ as a lamb of God. He sent him as a lamb to be slaughtered. And Christ was struck for our transgressions. people of God surely in this phrase, the everything, the whole of everything we believe as Christians hangs on this truth that Christ Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jew and Gentile, freedman, man, slave, male and female, all who believe upon him are given rights to be called children of God. And because he became the Lamb of God, he has gone forth conquering the enemies of God, sin and death and the devil himself. And the slain Lamb of God, the same slain Lamb that we see in Revelation chapter 5, is this one who is conquerors. And he now sits ruling as the Son of God over his people. Dear Christians, trust in the Lamb of God rest and receive the words of pardon for him for Christ. Jesus indeed came into the world to save sinners and it is no more uh, it is no more explicit than here. Behold the lamb of God, the one who would be sacrificed on our behalf who comes to take away the sins of the world. That is who Jesus is. The savior of men, the one who delivers us from our ugly nasty sins. Ones that we don't want our neighbors to know, our friends, our family. He delivers his people from all of our sin. Trust in the surety of this Lamb of God, whose blood speaks a better word than all the blood of bulls and goats. Believe in these truths, not as though you have never believed them before, but renew your mind in these precious truths of the Lamb of God. Be refreshed, remembering. That God has accepted you. Not because of any good within you. Not because we are decent people. But because of Christ and his shed blood for sinners. Sinners like you and I, dear Christians. Who is this man, Jesus? Surely, he is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We gather together and we praise and magnify you. We respond out of gratitude for all you have done through us in Jesus. Surely, Father, it is easy to forget who we are and how you change and shape and mold each one of us. But surely, God, this sacrifice given, this lamb that was slain who comes conquering, and is now seated at the right hand of God. His life, His work, it shapes us. It reshapes who we are. It changes us into people who are bought for a price, children of God. Father, we pray that You would remind us of these things as we go out into a world where these things are not known, where we forget so easily who You are and what You have done for us. We pray that You would turn our eyes to these truths. Remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.